0: Welcome back to the Der Show. As I predicted yesterday on the show, the craven uh, Harvard uh, uh, Corporation uh, did what I expected them to do, um, repeated their mistake and doubled down. Remember, this is the same board that appointed uh, Claudine Gay to be the president, despite her sordid record as dean of the faculty on free speech, due process, and um, civil liberties. And in general. Um, so again, as I've said before, I never make predictions based on what I want. I wanted the board to uh, fire her or ask her to resign, but I predicted they wouldn't, um, because I know I know the board, I know the people on the board. I know how you get elected to the board. My friend Harvey Silviglade tried to run for the board, but he didn't have the kind of institutional support you need to buck uh, the authority, so he he didn't get it. So There's no one on the board, I think, who I would say today is a genuine uh, civil libertarian. We'll get back to Harvard's decision a little bit. I just wanted to comment briefly on this new development in the Donald Trump uh, uh, case. Um, The special counsel has done something I've never seen done in 60 years of practicing appellate law. Um, I've probably done more. Appeals than maybe anybody in private practice. I could be wrong about that, but I have done so, so, so many appeals. Uh, but I've never seen the side that wins appeal. So <laughs> let's remember what happened in this case. Jack Smith um, won in the trial court. What happened is, of course, Donald Trump and his lawyers made a motion saying he couldn't be tried in the District of Columbia for this January 6th crime, um, because he has immunity. He was the president of the United States. He was sitting in the White House when all this uh, happened. And uh, the trial court, not surprisingly, considering her background and who she is, of course, ruled against him. You'd think at this point, maybe Donald Trump would appeal. He lost. But so far, he hasn't appealed. He probably will. But the strangest thing happened on the way <laughs> to the Court of Appeals. Um, Jack Smith said, no, I'm going to skip that Court of Appeals. Who knows how? They'll decide. I'm going right to SCOTUS. I'm going right to the Supreme Court of the United States. And I'm asking them to decide whether a president has immunity for actions taken while he's president, but that we think are more <clears throat> political and partisan than they are uh, presidential. Difficult and interesting and previously undecided question. So he's taken it to the to the Supreme Court directly. Um, I don't know how he necessarily has standing as the winner below. But, you know, this is a strange case and we live in a strange world. And the Supreme Court didn't dismiss it as they could have. They said, no, we're going to put it on a fast track to decide whether to decide, we haven't decided whether to decide, but you know, the inclination may be to take the case because they've given the Trump team um, a week or so to respond to this unique to this unique uh, appeal by the winner. Um, again, <laughs> winners don't appeal; losers appeal. Um, but uh, so Trump now has uh, several more days to file his response. I don't know what position Trump is going to take. You know, he may take the position, yeah, let's take it directly to the Supreme Court because probably the Supreme Court is a better forum for him than the Court of Appeals in the District of Columbia. I don't know about this issue, though. The issue, you know, is a far-reaching far one about how much presidential immunity there is and whether there is presidential immunity for actions taken while president that you're prosecuted for after president. There are other issues as well, whether there's double jeopardy because of the um, impeachment. Uh, I was one of the lawyers, obviously, in the first impeachment. And I can tell you, I don't think there is double jeopardy. Um, The Constitution pretty much is clear that uh, impeachment, once you're tried for impeachment, you can still be tried afterward for crimes That may overlap with the impeachment. But again, no precedence on this. It could go either way. My prediction is that if the court does decide to decide the case, it will rule that there is no double jeopardy. And on immunity, it will probably rule that it's a factual matter. It depends on the facts of the case. It depends on the nature of what he was doing and whether it was presidential or not. I told you once before uh, that I had an experience with this back when Jimmy Carter was president. So I was uh, the lawyer for um, Anatoly Sharansky, now known as Natan Sharansky. He was, at that time, the most famous political prisoner in the world. And he was subject to the death penalty for spying to the United States. And he didn't spy for the United States. And I came up with this idea to put an ad in the New York Times every single day Indicating how many days he's been in prison without a trial and I wanted the first per and the, each ad would be signed individually By a person on a given day. So say on day six, it would be uh, Anatoly Transky is now serving a 6 day in prison. I, I I wish him justice and good luck Alan Dershowitz and I would pay for the ad, you know A thousand dollars or whatever whatever it would be eight hundred dollars. It was a small ad and so I called my friend who was counsel to Jimmy Carter, my former student, uh, Stuart Eisenstadt. And I said, Stu, um, can we get President Carter, he was then the president, to do the first ad and pay the five or 600 bucks, that $800, $1,000 that it would cost, it would make a big impact. And he laughed at me and said, he can't sign anything as a private citizen. I said, but you know, just has him do it as a private citizen, let him pay out of his own money. He said, no, when you're president of the United States, there is no such thing as a private act. Anything you do is as president. You are president 24-7 for as many years as you are in office. From the moment you're sworn in until the moment your successor is sworn in, there is no such thing as a private act. And so he he, he was very sympathetic, particularly Stewart, who was very supportive of Natan Sharansky, and is now a friend of his, as we all are, um, said, no, the president could not do that because the act would be a presidential act, not a a private act. Now, I don't know whether the court is going to go along with that or say, no, um, what happened on January 6th was not presidential. It was anti-presidential. Of course, it was many respects. Of course, it was presidential. I mean, he made the decision where to post troops as president, Um, when he spoke, um, before he told people to go down, Um, when he spoke, he spoke as president, and he told them to exercise their First Amendment right, to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Um, Obviously, if he had told them to commit crimes and go into the Capitol, that would be a very strong case for it not being presidential. But If it was just, if he was honestly, if mistakenly, trying to enforce the law, which he believed he could enforce, namely that the vice president has the power to send it to Congress and not just count the votes, he's wrong about that. But if he believed it honestly, would that be a presidential act or not? That's going to be an interesting case. Um, I'm not going to make a prediction. If I were forced to make a prediction, I would say probably uh, they will say at least some of the actions taken that day were not covered by by privilege, but we'll 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 wait and see. Um, I don't know how much the Supreme Court's going to be influenced by the fact that this is a kangaroo trial. Obviously, um, uh, if the Las Vegas oddsmakers are betting on any case against Donald Trump in the District of Columbia, the odds would be infinity to zero. Nobody's going to place a bet on an acquittal in front of this judge and this jury in the District of Columbia, where 90-something percent of the people voted against um, uh, Trump. So uh, the Supreme Court may be upset about that and may think there should be a change of venue and it's not before them yet. Uh, We'll see. I don't know why Trump doesn't counter appeal and say, look, if you're going to handle this aspect of the case, why don't you also handle the change of venue aspect of the case, take the case and put it in Virginia, um, but uh, again, I, I don't know what the thinking of the Trump legal team is uh, on this. So, so we'll we'll wait and see. But it's a it's a it's an interesting issue. If I were, you know, when when Nixon was impeached, uh, wasn't impeached, but was about to be impeached, I taught a whole course on that, uh, a seminar at Harvard. I love to use current events as a basis for exploring the law. I taught a course on the law regarding the Vietnam War at 900 students. Um, and I would be teaching a class today on the trials of Donald Trump. I have already written the textbook. It's called Get Trump. That's my next to last book. My last book, my most current book, as you know, it published today, uh, War Against the Jews, uh, How to End Hamas Barbarism. This is uh, the book that may go into... Um, uh, the Guinness Book of Records for the fastest book published uh, uh, since uh, the the Moses, since the Bible was given to Moses on on Mount Sinai, which just took a couple of hours. Uh, this took a lot more time than that. It took, and it's not as good. Uh, it took um, uh, 32 or so days for me to to write the book, and then another three weeks or so before it got put in hardcover. But by the end of like seven weeks, it was out there and. Official pub date is uh, today, so you can you can get the book on Amazon. Will probably be sent to you by tomorrow or the day after tomorrow. And uh, it's a fast read; it's 200 pages, but it's it's pretty fast read. Uh, so that's it for today on 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 um, on Trump. Um, but uh, let's turn now to to Harvard um, again. I predicted that uh, the corporation, which is the most elitist group in the world, um, would not compound. Uh, would not admit their error, but they would compound their error by uh, allowing her to continue on as as president. Uh, What they did is they said, look, we're not going to be influenced by alumni. Really, Really put down the alumni. The alumni support the school. These folks wouldn't be on the board if they weren't powerful and influential alumni. So what they're really saying is listen to some alumni, but not others. Listen to Pritzker, who's the chairman of the board, but don't listen to Ackerman. Um, because Ackerman, because Pritzker is richer than Ackerman. I don't know who's richer, but um, but but you know, it's one elite group saying don't listen to another elite group. It's absurd. Um, but even if you don't listen to the elite group, listen to the faculty. Listen to the arguments that Stephen Pinker has made, professor, great professor, listen to the arguments that I've made, listen to the arguments that Harvey Silverglate has made, um, read the 10 or 15 page. Very substantive arguments that Bill Ackerman has made. Ignore his money, ignore his contributions. Just listen to him. He's a distinguished alumni at the school. But instead, they had some midnight meeting and voted unanimously without hearing anybody, without hearing any arguments, without presumably reading anything that any of us wrote. And uh, they decided two things. Number one, that although maybe she should have acted a little bit more quickly after 1200. Israelis were raped, murdered, brutalized, uh, beheaded, burned. Maybe, maybe she wasn't perfect on that, and maybe her testimony in front of Congress eh, could have been a little bit better, a little bit better. Also, they said she wasn't guilty of plagiarism. They're right about that, by the way. I've read the accusations about plagiarism. I would put it a little differently. Really sloppy scholarship, um, but not plagiarism. Um, what she did basically was to say so and so, and I know I know some of the so and so she cited. So and so made a point that, and then instead of paraphrasing the point that the person made, she quoted it verbatim without putting it in quotation marks. I would say that's a microaggression, <laughs> um, but of course at Harvard, microaggressions are are, are punished. But the the Harvard Corporation said it didn't violate the rules of Harvard. Let me tell you what did violate the rules of Harvard. Not telling the truth to Congress. So how did she justify why she didn't condemn uh, the 33 student groups um, that said that the rapes, murders, beheadings were all the fault of Israel? These raped women, they had it coming. These beheaded babies, they had it coming. It was all the fault of Israel why didn't she do that here was her answer because quote we embrace a commitment to free expression that is untrue neither she nor harvard during her tenure as dean and as president has embraced a commitment to free expression i know that because i have fought for free expression at harvard from july of 1964 until today and 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 i won most of the fights early on, and lost almost all of the fights recently since President Gay has been dean and, and president. Uh, the school has the worst record in the United States on free speech and free expression. That's not me. That's Fire, the the uh, foundation for individual rights and expression. They did a survey and they ranked universities, and number last was Harvard. So how dare she get up there under oath? and say, we embrace a commitment to free expression. No, she embraces a commitment to free expression if the free expression has killed the Jews. But if the free expression is, well, you know, maybe some criticism of black people, gay people, transgender people. No, 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 those are micro aggressions. Harvard has withdrawn admission from applicants who they admitted because at 15 years old, they wrote a tweet to a friend or a message to a friend uh, which said something nasty about some protected group that got him fired. Well, let's take the biggest case in Harvard's history of denial of free speech. The president of Harvard, the former good president of Harvard, Lawrence Summers, the former secretary of treasury, Nobel quality economist, great, great president, is asked to speak in front of, or actually was asked just to be there in front of a group of academics and they were talking about the role of gender in uh, explaining why there were so few tenured professors at Harvard and other major universities in physics and math who are women. We happen to know one of the tenured physics uh, professors who's, who's who's great. And he speculated about the possibility that maybe there are some genetic differences that make men more adept at physics and math and make women more adept at other, uh, other other subjects, I don't know whether that's true or not. My wife was a neuropsychologist, PhD. She thinks it's true. Well, at least there's some truth to it. It's a scientific issue to be debated. Not at Harvard. No debate. You're fired. You're out. There was a great cartoon that showed Larry Summers on his hands and knees begging for his job to the corporation, saying, no, I didn't say women are not good at math. I said Israel is an apartheid genocidal state. Now can I get my job back? No, he didn't get his job back. So if a president can be fired for speculating about gender differences, by the way, lectures have been canceled because people have said there are gender differences, that sex is not a continuum, that there's a straight line. There are men, there are women. There are obviously some exceptions in nature, but uh, there is a separation between men and women. And, And the lecture was canceled. Is that the kind of we embrace a commitment to free expression? No, it's selective free expression, free speech for me, but not for thee. Worse, safe zones for some, but not for others. President Gay has been instrumental in promoting and strengthening the DEI program, DEI, not DEA, DEI program, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which means non-diversity, lack of equality, and exclusion. It's a word game. It's Orwellian. Um, But she's been instrumental in that. And that has been instrumental in denying people free speech. And also, it's been the incubator for anti-Semitism at universities all over the world. Why? Because DEI is based on the concept of intersectionality, which divides the world into two groups, the oppressed and the oppressors. And of course, Jews are the oppressors and Palestinians and blacks and gays and uh, are, are the are the oppressed. So uh, once you're categorized as the oppressor, you have no rights. Once you're characterized as the oppressed, you have all the rights in the world. And part of the whole DEA woke cancel culture program has been what's called safeism. Safeism, and that's something that she has, President Gay has championed. Safeism. If ideas. If words make a black student or a gay student or a woman student or a transgender student feel that they're unsafe, unsafe from what? Unsafe from ideas, then the ideas can be banned. That's what safism is. It puts fake claims of feeling safe, and these claims are fake. You're not going to feel unsafe uh, just because somebody raised the question about gender or 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 race, um, uh, and if you do, go elsewhere. Um, that applies by the way to Israel too. Students should not feel unsafe and do not feel unsafe if people are supportive of a two-state solution, are supportive of the rights of Palestinians, they may feel unsafe. If that morphs into uh, Palestine will be free of Jews uh, and and clean, uh, Palestine of Jews in the world of Jews, or obviously gas the Jews—that uh, that's that's different. But the concept of who is entitled to feel safe has been based on DEA has been based on who produces diversity, not dark-skinned Jews. No, they're excluded. Um, they're not. Ex- they're excluded from inclusion. They're included. Excluded from equity. Equity doesn't demand that Jews be treated equally. It only demands. That black people and people who have been discriminated against in the past, as if Jews hadn't been discriminated against in the past, uh, deserve equity. That is, deserve group affirmative action. That's what equity is. It's not equality. It's the opposite of Martin Luther King's dream of a day when his children will be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. In fact, to quote Martin Luther King under the DEI regime can be deemed to be a microaggression for which people can be um, uh, punished or at least at least uh, criticized. So, don't talk to me about diversity. There's no diversity at Harvard. Ninety-seven percent of the faculty identify as liberal, liberal-leaning, and only three percent identify as conservative. Where is the diversity of ideas? When I was invited by Chabad to speak at Harvard about the two-state solution in Israel. They had to move my speech off campus for fear that I would be physically assaulted. Is that diversity of opinion? Uh, Advocating a two-state solution instead of advocating the end of Israel? That's regarded as politically incorrect speech by some on the Harvard campus. So this is such blatant hypocrisy. And that's why gay should not have been allowed to continue on as president, not because of her disastrous testimony in front of uh, Congress alone, not because of that alone, but because of the combination of her, of that, of her refusal to condemn the 33 student groups and her long history of being on the wrong side of free speech, due process, equal protection all of these arguments. She's on the wrong side. She's the wrong person at the wrong time in the wrong job. And the corporation of Harvard are the wrong people at the wrong time in the wrong job. And we, who are as much Harvard as anybody on the corporation, 60 years, 10,000 students, have a right to object. I'm a dissenter. I'm a whistleblower. I have volunteered to testify in front of the education department which is considering an investigation of Harvard and perhaps removing some of its funding. I don't want to see Harvard's funding removed. A lot of it goes to the medical school and to science, which haven't had the biggest problems. The biggest problems come from linguistics and political science and other subjects which are amenable to propaganda instead of teaching people, uh, how to think, telling them what to think. And so, it was a bad day for higher education uh, this morning. Um, it was a bad morning for Harvard, um, even though many in Harvard don't don't agree. It was a bad morning for the eight hundred professors who pandered to uh, President Gay and refused to take on the arguments on the merits. I challenge them to debate me on the merits of whether gay serves the interests of Harvard, not whether or not you should listen to politicians or, or listen to um, uh, corporate donors. By the way, if you don't want to listen to corporate donors, if you don't want to listen to the government, don't take their money. The opposite of no taxation without representation. No representation, no payments. All right, you know, let Pritzker fund the the university. Uh, But don't ask Ackerman to fund it if you're not even going to listen to him. If you're going to insult him and demean him and say that the only reason that his views are ever heard is because he's a rich donor? No, his views are good. I've read them. They're much more compelling than the views of the corporation. I hope he runs for the corporation. I will support him very strongly if he runs for the corporation, just as I supported Harvey Silverglate, who's a great civil libertarian who ran for the corporation. But you can't get onto the corporation unless you have the support of the university, the administration, the bureaucracy. So it's a a self-repeating problem. And that was manifested by the fact that the same board that appointed President Gay said, you know, we were right. We approve of ourselves. We think we did a good job. And, And of course, they wouldn't admit they did a terrible job. They did a terrible job. She was not the right person when selected. She has proved that. She faced her first crisis. She failed it. Even in grade inflation environment where 90-something percent of students in political science uh, get A's, she gets a flunking grade. She doesn't even make it to D. She gets a flunking grade. A, for her appearance in front of Congress. B, for her failure to immediately condemn the 33 student groups. And C, most importantly, for her failure as dean in her early months as president and her failure to, to, to promote what she said is we embrace a commitment to free expression. All right, let's see if something good can come of this. President Gay, I challenge you, embrace, embrace a culture of free expression for everybody. Eliminate DEI, eliminate these special programs that we have in which people are taught to cheer for their ethnic group rather than to look critically at all people. No, I don't think we're going to see that. I think what the Harvard Corporation did is said, business as usual. Things are great at Harvard. There's no reason for a change. Let's continue to destroy higher education. Let's continue to destroy Harvard. Let's not even try to get Harvard elevated from last to next to last on the free speech ranking. It was a terrible, terrible day for Harvard, a terrible day for higher education, and a terrible day for the United States of America. All right, let's look at some letters, um, okay? One just repeats what I said. She met her first crisis and failed it miserably. It can only get worse. The issue about is about free speech only if free speech policies are implemented consistently. This is about blatant discrimination. Absolutely right. You don't get to the free speech issue. You don't get to the issue of whether you want a university to have complete and total free speech under the First Amendment or whether you want some moderate restrictions tailored to academic enterprises. You don't get to that issue if you apply it unequally. Whatever ruling you make on that, you have to apply equally. You cannot prefer certain groups over others. And DEI and intersectionality all commit the sin of inequality and of unequal treatment. The First Amendment does not protect speech that is threatening or incites violence. Why are so many people playing ignorant to the many rulings on the subject? Because the subject is very confusing and very difficult. The difference between speech that is threatening and incites violence and speech that merely advocates is very difficult. I mean, calling for genocide against the Jews can be interpreted as advocacy. Uh, Mein Kampf was probably protected speech in uh, uh, 1930 under the First Amendment. Actually, not then, because the Supreme Court hadn't yet articulated the Brandenburg Principle, But under the Brandenburg Principle, Mein Kampf, which advocates terrible, terrible things, but it's a book, so maybe you can't say it immediately incites to violence. Maybe that was protected. You are 100% right in every point here, Alan. Can we, as former grad students of Harvard, make a difference? Tell us how. Haven't gotten a lot of money, so how else? Well, at least start writing. You can write op-eds. You can write to professional associations. Ah, uh, write to the 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 president of Harvard. Maybe she'll respond. I don't know. Thank you, Professor Education, <laughs> Professor Dershowitz. I get a free education listening to your show. Crowd, crying, fire, crying, fire in a crowded theater. You made me think. What does that really mean? Brilliant mind you have, uh, and wisdom to listen to. Okay. So I appreciate that. No, I'm glad if if you finally put to rest the absurd notion that uh, shouting fire in a crowded theater is speech. It's not speech. It's setting off an alarm. Would anybody argue that that member of Congress who set off the alarm um, was exercising free speech? Of course not. What's the difference if he pulls the alarm that says fire or he yells fire? I mean, to make the case even more dramatic, let's assume if you pull the alarm, a recording yells out fire fire. Fire. Leave the building. Fire. That's what happens in our building, by the way. In my building where I'm living, there is a speaker system that has a recording. And if there's a fire, it says fire. Is that speech? Is that free speech? And if that's not free speech, how is an individual shouting fire? You know, I hadn't thought of that analogy until now. So thank you for stimulating me to think of a great analogy about an alarm that actually shouts fire. That's the best proof that I'm right about the notion that shouting fire is not speech. Of course, it's not protected speech because it's not speech at all. See you tomorrow. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. 18 plus.